0: Well, good morning, everyone. It's great to be with you online again. Thank you for joining with us this morning. If there are primary school age children in your life, I'm sure you're familiar with the school reader. There's one school reader that's more famous than all the others, and that's called The Pet Goat. It was written by Zig Engelman, and it was designed to teach children how to read words that end with the letter E, words like sore, which is how the villain in the story ends up after the pet goat headbutts him. The pet goat starts this way. It says this, A girl got a pet goat. She liked to go running with her pet goat. She played with her pet goat in her yard. But the pet goat did some things that made her dad mad. The goat ate things. He ate cans and he ate canes. He ate pans and he ate panes. He even ate capes and caps. It's a book that's designed to help us read words that end with the letter E. But what really makes The Pet Goat as a children's reader stand out from all the thousands of other school readers is that on September the 11th, 2001, President George Bush was reading The Pet Goat to a classroom of school children when he was informed that New York had been attacked. The president sat in the classroom for a full seven more minutes reading and being read to from the pet goat. I mean, that story was finished. America had entered into a time of crisis. Less than 20 years later, we again find ourselves in a time that we could describe as a crisis. Certainly it's a time of uncertainty. It's different, isn't it, to September 11? But it is a crisis nonetheless. And some of us may be asking at this time, where is God in all of this? Or how could a loving God allow this to happen? We might be wondering how we're to kind of process all of this and what's happening in our world right now. Today, to try and help you do that a little bit, I'd love you to come with me to the Psalms, especially come with me to Psalm 11. That's what we're going to be looking at today. The Psalms are a great part of the Bible to be reading at a time like this. The Psalms acknowledge that our world is broken. They acknowledge the pain that God's faithful people experience at times. Even a cursory reading of the Psalms will tell you that the Christian experience is not one in which we just are laughing all the time or always happy. The Psalms help us to see how, how raw our world is. They help us to see how broken our world is. And they give us a language to cry out to God and a framework to process these upsetting things. Today as we look at Psalm 11, I just want to acknowledge as we get into this the massive leg up I've got from Tim Keller. He's a author and Bible teacher in America. I'm leaning very heavily on a video that I watched of him explaining Psalm 11 I also want to tell you that I've uh, got some good work from Jared Wilson who wrote a commentary on the Psalms and um, particularly enjoyed reading his uh, take on Psalm 11 and also a very big shout out to David and Rose Jackson who pointed me towards this psalm in the first place. Here's the big idea for us today. When faced with a crisis, we have two options. Option one is to flee, to run away. In the case of Psalm 11, it's to flee to the mountains. And option two is to find refuge in God. I want to acknowledge up front today that our problems today are not just about a sickness, as bad as that might be. Today, part of your concern might be that you're facing the loss of work or the loss of income. Maybe you're feeling the loss of identity and having lost your job. Perhaps there's this looming apprehension about homeschooling kids and having them around 24-7 and the loss of autonomy that's going to be associated with that. We are living in a difficult time. I think it's less acutely difficult than maybe September 11, but at the same time, it feels like this is going to be with us for a while. So how do we respond as Christians? Well, it's no surprise that the driving emphasis in Psalm 11 is to direct us to find refuge in God. So let's take a look at the psalm. If you've got your Bibles on hand today, I'd love you to open to Psalm 11. And as you do so, you will see right up front that this is a psalm of David, King David. King David is an impressive figure in the Old Testament He is of course far from perfect, he did some silly things and yet he's described as a man who has a heart after God's own heart. But even with that, life for David was not always easy and his life hung in the balance a number of times. And in Psalm 11 it seems that things are not going well for David. We're not told exactly what's happening for him but it's not a good day. And so it seems that David's advisors or his counsellors well, thus speaking to him and cautioning him. You know, back in the classroom on September eleven, it was one of George Bush's advisors, actually his chief of staff, Andrew Card, who whispered into his ear, America is under attack. And today I want you to see what David's advisors say to him in verses one to three of Psalm eleven. If you've got your Bibles open there, just note the quotation marks. They help us to see when the advisors or the counselors or perhaps the people are speaking and when we're getting David's own insight. Psalm uh, Psalm 11, verse 1, has this in it. It says, uh, this is how the advisors start. They say, flee like a bird to your mountain. Jared Wilson, in his commentary, suggests another possible translation. This is what he says. He says, it it could be read this way, fly away to the mountains, little birdie. And when put, when put that way, it really it captures the hopelessness of the situation that David finds himself, isn't it? It's like a David and Goliath moment. Flee, little birdie. Your adversaries are coming to get you. And he's to flee, isn't he? Because his adversaries are about to attack. Let me keep reading from the psalm from verse 2. This is what it says. For look, the wicked bend their bows... And they set their arrows against the strings to shoot from the shadows at the upright in heart. When their foundations are being destroyed, what can the righteous do? See, David's adversaries are just about to pounce. And they're going to shoot from the shadows. These these are unforeseen foes. You know, for me, this kind of conjures up the idea of a sniper. You know, up until fairly recent times, snipers were really looked down upon in, in wars. It was kind of seen as, as just beyond the pale to shoot an enemy who couldn't see you. And yet that's what's happening here for David. The archers are shooting from the shadows and so David can't even be sure what direction he should turn to face his attackers. And the situation is serious. In fact, the foundations around David are being destroyed. The world, as David knows it, is crumbling around him. This is a bad day for David, not a, a burnt the toast and spilt the milk kind of bad day, but rather this is a bad day in which everything is collapsing. And his advisors, will they tell him, flee to the mountain, little birdie. Run. Run. I wonder if you've got advisors in life. I wonder who it is that you take advice from. Perhaps it's friends, perhaps it's mentors, other people who provide assistance for you. Advisors, I think, mostly have your great intention at heart. But sometimes advisors get things wrong, don't they? David makes his position clear right from the beginning of the psalm. The Lord is his refuge. So despite the wicked bending their bows, it's the Lord in whom David will seek refuge. Despite the arrows coming from the shadows, it's the Lord in whom David will seek refuge. Despite the very foundations crumbling around him, it's the Lord in whom David will seek refuge. The remainder of Psalm 11 is really an explanation, I think, of why David would seek the refuge of the Lord in times of crisis. And there are really three things three things—three that I want you to see in the remainder of this psalm. Firstly, I want you to see that God is in control Secondly, I want you to see that God is watching us and watching how we behave and how we respond. Tim Keller puts it this way, the test has started. And thirdly, I want you to see that we're to seek God's face in times of crisis. Three things that we're going to look at uh, today in the rest of our time together. And I want to start by showing you that God is in control and that's part of the reason why David seeks refuge in his Lord. And we see that in verse 4. Where we read that the Lord is in his holy temple. The Lord is on his heavenly throne. See, David sees and knows that the Lord is enthroned. He's in control. And as Jared Wilson puts it, he's unperturbed by the apparent chaos unleashed in human affairs. That's not to say that God is unconcerned, but he is unperturbed. See, God's in control. And nothing outside of his control happens. Now I think many of us will have realised that it's a very easy thing to say and a very hard thing to actually trust that God is in control. There might be a number of reasons as to why that's the case. Maybe we don't like the direction that we think God is taking things. Or maybe deep down we think we actually know a better way to do things. It's also hard sometimes because so often it feels like we're in control, that we have the steering wheel firmly in our grip. But we learn here that it is God who's in control. When my boy Gus was five years old, so not all that long ago, we were out at the farm and I was driving one of the farm vehicles. It's a vehicle that's kind of a cross between a small truck and a tractor. It's a safe and reliable, easy to operate vehicle and it's got three seats across the front of it. I was sitting in the one and I was driving and Gus was sitting next to me and we were going through a paddock very slowly, about three kilometres an hour and Gus decided that he wanted to steer so he reached up his hand and put it onto the steering wheel and he just began to beam as he thought that he was driving this truck through the paddock. What I didn't realise is that my other hand was firmly clasped on the steering wheel at the other side, helping to guide this truck slowly through the paddock. Now we got to the thing that we were wanting to do at the farm and I started to unload the tools from the back of the truck and I turned it all off and I started doing the jobs. And then I heard the truck start up and I spun around and as I spun around I saw Gus's hand on the key and he had turned it on and almost at the same instant he turned to look at me with tears beginning to flow down his face terrified. So he'd scared himself. It's all very well driving the truck with me sitting there next to him. But to do it all on your own well that's terrifying. Terrifying. Now luckily nothing happened, the truck wasn't in gear, it just sat there and Gus and I had a moment together as we thought about what could have happened. I hope today you can take comfort in knowing that the Lord is in his holy temple. The Lord is on his heavenly throne. He's in control. His virus may have taken us by surprise and we might have suddenly realised how vulnerable we are, how unprepared we are. How inept we are at steering the ship of life. But God is in control. He's not surprised. He's not perturbed. And so David's not going to flee to the mountains, but rather he's going to take refuge in a God who's in control. It may be at times like this that we need to repent from a previous attitude in which we thought we knew better. Perhaps we thought we could do better than God. Maybe we didn't like the route that God had chosen for us or or maybe we had our own interests at heart. Here's the truth. God is in control. We call this the doctrine of the sovereignty of God. That's what this is. And there's great comfort to be found in it at times like this. I hope you can find some of that comfort today. But what I really like about Psalm 11 is that it doesn't just leave us there. It doesn't just leave us with the the idea that God is in control. But it also shows us that we have a role to play as people at times like this. In verses 4 to 6, we see that God is watching us, that God is examining us, and that we have a role to play. Let me read to you the second half of verse 4, and then verses 5 and 6. You might like to read along in your Bibles as I read. He, that is God, he observes everyone on earth, His eyes examine them. The Lord examines the righteous, but the wicked, those who love violence, he hates with passion. On the wicked he will rain fiery coals and burning sulfur. A scorching wind will be their lot. See, God is examining us, both the righteous and the wicked, all of us, you and me. No one's left out of this. He's observing and watching us. He cares about what we do. He cares about our behavior. I think this means today that we should be concerned with how we care for each other. We should be pursuing ways in which we might help each other and support each other and love each other. You know, today there are plenty of reasons for us to flee to the mountains, aren't there? Plenty of reasons for us to hide. But perhaps instead we should be thinking about How do we support those around us? How do we care for our families? How do we support others in our society? How do we care for those who are vulnerable? Perhaps that means going to work. Many of us are essential workers. Thank you if you're in that position for your perseverance and your bravery and your willingness to help. For the rest of us, there are so many opportunities, aren't there, for us not to flee to the mountains but instead to work for the good. Now's a great time for us to be reaching out to family and to friends. Switch a handshake for a phone call, I've heard people say. What a great idea. Perhaps also you could pray. Wouldn't it be great if we came out of this crisis time as a church more dependent on prayer? Wouldn't it be great if we came out of this as people who were better prayers? Maybe you could also invite people to join us at church at the moment. Wouldn't it be great if we came out of this with friends who ordinarily would never have gone to a church who'd heard the story of Jesus? Church online is something that they could do on a Sunday morning when there's nothing else to do. Now please don't misinterpret me here. We do need to follow the advice of our government in terms of social distancing and staying at home is a loving way to respond but staying at home doesn't necessarily mean hiding. It doesn't necessarily mean fleeing to the mountains. If you're an avid social media user, you may have come across one of Martin Luther's quotes that's been flying around a little bit late, lately. Uh, Luther lived in another time of sickness. He lived during the time of the deadly plague. And during that time of the Black Plague, he wrote a letter to another reformer, John Hess, And this letter is called, quite aptly, given that we're looking at Psalm 11, Whether One May Flee From a Deadly Plague. And this is what Luther says as part of that letter. I shall ask God mercifully to protect us. Then I shall fumigate, help purify the air, administer medicine and take it. I shall avoid places and persons where my presence is not needed in order not to become contaminated and thus perchance inflict and pollute others and so cause their death as a result of my negligence. If God should wish to take me, he will surely find me and I have done what he has expected of me and so I am not responsible for either my own death or the death of others. If my neighbour needs me, however, I shall not avoid place or person but will go freely as stated above. See, this is such a God-fearing faith because it's neither brash nor foolhardy and does not tempt God. That's Martin Luther writing to his friend and other reformer, John Hess. Now, I want to be really clear with you here. This is not a salvation issue. God's not watching over us to see whether he should save us or not. No, no. The Bible story is that salvation is found in Jesus alone and by trusting in him alone. You could flee to the mountains, you could hide for the whole of this pandemic and still be saved, of course that's the reality. But I do want you to see that God does care about how we behave in this world. I do want you to see that he's watching over us and he wants us to grow to be more like Jesus each day. As part of the mission of our church that we will be growing to be more Christ-like learning to be more like Jesus. Put succinctly, don't flee to the mountains at the moment because God's watching and testing us. The last point we see in verse 7 of this psalm, and it's this, that the upright will see the face of God. It seems that this too is part of the motivation for David not to flee to the mountains, the promise of seeing God's face. In the midst of the chaos that's engulfing David, David trusts that the upright will see the face of God. Now, I'd be wondering, how do we do that? How do we see the face of God? Well, I want you to remember today that we see the face of God by looking to his son, Jesus. At the start of John's Gospel, we read this, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, the glory as of the only son from the Father. And a bit later on in the start of John's Gospel, we read this No one has ever seen God, the only God who is at the Father's side has made him known. See, part of the benefit of this psalm is it's pointing us back to God who's in control. And we see him, we come to know that God who's in control by looking to the person of Jesus. See, he's the one that can bring us into God's presence. I think standing still in a crisis is a really hard thing to do. I think part of the encouragement in this psalm is here is not to flee to the mountains but instead to run to God and to find refuge in him and we do that today by finding our place in the person of Jesus. It's through Jesus that we come to God. Don't flee to the mountains. Run instead to the person of Jesus. See, in Jesus we also need to remember that we have a God who knows what it is to suffer and to die. A God who knows what it is to sacrifice and face loss. Wouldn't you rather be there under the wing of a God who knows what life is like at the moment than alone in the mountains? I don't know what President Bush did after he'd finished reading The Pet Goat. I'm not sure what his advisor's counsel was to him. But as we face our own troubled times today, I hope you're able to take refuge in the Lord, knowing that he's in control, knowing that he's watching over us and knowing that we come to him through his son, Jesus, our Lord. Let me pray for us. Father God, we thank you for this psalm and for the way in which it points us to you, the way in which it reminds us that you are a God who's in control. Father, when we're feeling the pressure of this crisis and unsure how we should respond, help us to keep coming back to you and to finding our refuge in you. Help us to turn to your Son, to look to him and to follow after him. Amen.